Hello and welcome to React Native Radio. I'm your host, Matt Dabit. Today we're at the Microsoft Build Conference and we're sitting down with Adam Wolf, the Director of Engineering from Facebook. Uh, welcome to the show, Adam. Thanks, it's great to be here. Yeah, it's a lot of exciting stuff going on here. It's my first time at Microsoft Build. I've never been to a conference of this size. It's kind of out of my realm. I go to a lot of conferences, but they're normally JavaScript, front-end conferences. So this is kind of a, a very interesting thing for me. There's been a lot of cool things going on here with uh, mobile and a lot of cool stuff with JavaScript and React Native and React in particular. There's been about three or four talks so far. And you kind of were here earlier, and we're going to cover uh, quite a few topics over the next 45 minutes. But um, I, kinda, I guess I'd really like for you to start like we start all of our episodes. We'd like to hear how our guests kind of got into programming and how they landed in the current position that they're in. So, yeah, so can you kind of tell us how you got into programming and how you landed at Facebook at this point in your career? Sure, yeah, I'd love to. So I didn't actually study computer science in college. I studied filmmaking. And when I graduated from college, I moved to the Bay Area and I got a job at a game company. Uh, I always like to tinker with computers on the side and make games. So um, I worked at Rocket Science Games for a long time. Super fun. Uh, this was before the big wave of consolidation hit the game industry in the late 90s. So I did that for a long time. I actually worked at Microsoft for a couple of years as a UX designer. And then I officially made the switch to a full-time programmer as part of Laszlo Systems in the early 2000s. Very cool. Yeah, it was, a, it was really exciting. And actually, Laszlo had a lot of things in common with React. It, was, it tried to be a declarative uh, way of writing uh, user interface. It used a ActionScript or JavaScript. Mm -hmm. um, it had a compiler in it, and it had kind of XML. It was one of those XML programming languages that kind of happened in the early 2000s. Um, then uh, I did a little startup, which ultimately was acquired by Facebook about seven years ago. It's called ShareGrove, uh, just a little thing. And uh, I've been at Facebook ever since. I worked at, on, at Facebook. I worked for a couple of years on uh, messages and the messages infrastructure and the JavaScript for messages. And then uh, now I'm responsible for this front-end infrastructure team, which has actually had a lot of different forms over the years I've worked on it. But it's been a lot of fun. And uh, I, you know, I think part of the reason why I like my job so much and also why uh, I really like developer-facing technologies is that you know, I, I don't have a deep background in computer science. I'm pretty much self-taught, and I feel like if I can understand it and explain it to someone, then it's probably pretty simple, and, you know, it'll be easy for them to understand, too. That's super interesting, especially uh, for myself as well, because I, I, I am someone that kind of got into programming. Well, it wasn't my major in college. It kind of I fell into it. I, I really liked it. So kind of curious, how did you teach yourself, or how did you kind of go from the, uh, the profession that is filmmaking into programming? Did you kind of like always tinker with it or is it something you uh, focused on for a while and, and learned? Yeah, well, I was never a professional filmmaker, uh, but I always tinkered with it. My dad got a 8086 computer way back in the day and I taught myself to program using BASIC um, and, uh, you know, made like Mad Lib games and stupid little arcade games. And then... Um, it was uh, actually, someone gave me the purple book, the structure and interpretation of computer programs. And I had done just enough programming to be really ready to sort of learn some of the theory. And, and I kind of went through that book and, and uh, did a bunch of the exercises and kind of learned about Lisp. And I was really hooked after that. I just thought it was so exciting that s these ideas had names and people had already explored this territory and I could find out more about it. So... So uh, for people listening that want to get into programming on the scale of like a company like Facebook or, or work for a company like that, what would you kind of tell them uh, what they could do in their career to, to help accelerate um, 
like their learning experience, I guess. Sure. Well, for me, I, I don't know, you know, I think everyone comes to this differently, but for me, it's always been about making stuff. And I think if you really just set out with the desire to solve a problem or for me, it was always about building little games or little interactive experiences. Uh, and by doing that, I was able to learn a bunch of tools and a bunch of cool technologies. And, and if you're really trying to solve a problem, you, you find yourself going to every kind of technology and kind of opening every box and seeing what's in it. So yeah, that's great, um, Adam. And uh, we're also, like I said, we're here at Microsoft Build and Ryan Salva just stopped in and he's going to join us for the rest of the podcast. Welcome to the show, Ryan. Uh, dude, thank you so much for having me. I really, really appreciate it. We're excited to have you. We've, we've talked to you a few times, first time meeting in person. So um, a lot to talk about. Yeah, you're, you're much better looking than you sound <laughs> on phone. Same to you. <laughs> so can you kind of talk about what's going on with uh, React and React Native and, and, and everything with Microsoft at this point? I know there's been a lot well, of uh, stuff I've seen going dude, that on. Is, but that is a huge, huge question. I mean, I, so there is a lot of React Native happening at Microsoft. We'll try and break it down into some of the things that I'm either personally involved in or just really excited about. So I think, as you know, for the last, oh man, for at least, how long now? Maybe about a year and a half. We've had the VS Code extension for React Native. And that's one that we continue to love and to maintain and to, to just kind of refine as we get more feedback from developers and customers. And one that I use in my own development every day. Uh, so we've got the VS Code piece of it. Uh, we also have uh, React XP, the control framework that recently came out not too long ago. Was that maybe a month or two ago? I think so. Something like that. Uh, and then the place where I'm probably spending the most of my time and my energy is on code push and kind of the next evolution of code push which is mobile center and this kind of that may be a name that a lot of people may not be familiar with i, I know most react native developers are already familiar with code push sure but the mobile center part of it's kind of new uh, we've been working for the last uh, about six months or so on taking kind of all of the kind of live update features that people have been using for over a year and a half in code push and integrating them with SDKs that provide things like crash reporting, um, distribution to beta testers, uh, analytics, and uh, cloud build services uh, in this new DevOps solution uh, that we're calling Mobile Center. It's, it's already supported for native iOS, native Android, and because we're Microsoft, it's also Xamarin as well. But React Native is, is kind of the piece of it that I end up working the most on. And it's, it's actually kind of cool because I, I think... I have no idea what percentage of React Native apps are using Code Push today, but when I go to conferences and I talk to people about it and I ask, hey, who's using Code Push? I, at least 50% of the audience, if they're a React Native audience, is, their hands are going up. And to be able to take that and to marry it with things like crash reporting, that when you're, when you're working with a code base that you're potentially updating on a daily basis, and that's mm -hmm. what really Code Push was designed to allow you to do, to fix bugs on the fly or to add in new features on the fly. It can cause maybe a little bit of necessary volatility in your code, right? You might be moving pretty quick and you want to understand better, um, kind of help hopefully detect before a bunch of your users find out that there's a problem with something you shipped. I mean, it happens. We all ship buggy code sometimes, right? It does happen. does happen. And so being able to integrate crash reporting, not only so that you get the native stack traces, but you also get the JavaScript, JavaScript stack traces that go along with it, that piece of it is something that, to the best of my knowledge, I mean, really the industry is just starting to catch on to. And uh, I think there's a lot of potential there. 
So it's super interesting to have, you know, we have Microsoft in the room, we have Facebook in the room. Um, it's, you know, two completely separate companies. You guys are working on, you know, tooling around a, a framework that was actually built by another company. We're seeing this happen all, all yeah. around with open source. People are collaborating, they're, they're taking ideas yeah. and they're, they're enhancing them and making developer experiences better for everybody. I think it's really interesting to hear. Dude, that is, I mean, that's what, that's what open source was about, right? Like providing the, the not just the, the legal framework, but also the collaboration tools that allow companies that may not have the exact same goals, but have parallel goals or complementary goals to be able to contribute to the same ecosystem. And I mean, I... I know it's worked really well for us. I don't know. How, how has it worked for Facebook? Oh, it's fantastic. And, you know, um, I think actually Microsoft and Facebook come at this from slightly different angles. Microsoft has always really had this focus on developers. And a lot of the Microsoft business appears to be built around developers and developer mindshare. That's not really as true of Facebook. You know, really at Facebook, we mostly think about how to make Facebook developers more productive. But what we know is that over the long term, open source solutions tend to beat out every other solution because the industry coalesces around it and they turn it into something great even if it doesn't start out great. And yeah. having really long, really robust tool chains is kind of the most important thing for any developer technology. And you really only get that through open source. So it's been great for us. It's great for us that when people start at Facebook, we don't have to explain React to them. When we tell them about GraphQL, there are tutorials that other people built that they can go look at to understand how these technologies work. That's been invaluable. Yeah, and like you guys move at an almost breathless pace. I mean, like keeping up is, it's, it keeps me employed. That's yeah, for damn sure. Yeah. <laughs> that's true, that's true. So I'm kind of curious. Uh, so you, you're right there on the front lines with React Native and you're working with the developers. From my understanding, um, I guess when you're, you're ready to add a feature, uh, a lot of times uh, there's a few decisions to be made. First of all, you probably have to wonder about People that are using the framework, do they need that? And then you also have to think about what Facebook needs internally because ultimately um, your React Native was built for your own needs and you kind of have to keep that in mind. How, uh, how do you see the future of React Native coming along over the next six months, year, two years? Also, how do you make a decision on when to add a feature and who owns that feature? Yeah, well, you know, the feature development is, is extremely organic and over time what we really are looking to do is make it so that it's easier to, to build features on top of React Native. You know, and ultimately what I'd really like to do with all our open source technologies over time is make them smaller and more extensible. So we try to avoid adding major features to the core of React Native, instead making it easier to build new components and new functionality on top. Oh, that makes, that makes total sense. So basically just have it to where um, if someone needs something, it's easy to make it instead of having to rely on it being part of the core, they can yeah. just kind of add on to it. That's right. I've seen a lot of uh, really great um, Companies actually, uh, third party, or I wouldn't say third party, but companies that are kind of using React Native own features. Like we're seeing um, Airbnb, they are owning the Maps component now. We're seeing React yeah. Navigation taken out of, uh, uh, it's not taken out, it was kind of built separate from React Native and it's owned by the community. Um, that, is that kind of what you're talking about? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And, you know, especially in these areas where we're not even sure what the right answer is. You know, animation, navigation. We're still deciding what these paradigms are for mobile, let alone how they should work in React Native. And we want to make sure that the community can help us figure this out. That's over the long term. That's one of the great values we get out of our open source program. So, yeah. um, oh no, I was I was going to ask like, so how do you guys really look at like community contributions to 
React Native proper? Like, do you prefer to see it happening out in the open first, kind of get a little battle-tested, battle-worn, right, by the community, and then kind of flow into React Native? Or do you guys think of it as like, hey, there's a bunch of different projects out here, and they can move together in parallel? Or something else? Yeah, I, you know, kind of more that second one. I think at yeah. Facebook, we really have a high uh, tolerance for chaos. Because we really value moving fast so much. You already alluded to that. Oh, totally, so, totally. Uh, you know, if, it's okay with me if we have three different solutions for navigation and none of them are quite right. It's frustrating for the community. I know that. And there are plenty of places that just sort of, they want to say like, hey, what's the accepted solution for this? I just want to implement it. Yeah, yeah. I want to get there, but I also want to be realistic when we're not there yet. Totally, yeah. totally. Yeah, one direction that I see, one, one, one realm that we're headed at Facebook, and you know, I'm not sure, frankly, how much of the community is worried about this, but as we start working to extend our use of React Native at Facebook, we're more and more focused on performance and interoperation with existing native code. And that's what we found. You know, when we first started with React Native, the easiest thing to do was to just either write everything in JavaScript or rewrite things in JavaScript because you can work so quickly in JavaScript and you know, we kind of know how that works. Surprisingly, even taking an existing component that's really well battle tested and hooking it up to React Native, that can be time consuming. We want to make that easier over time and that's really critical to the success of React Native at Facebook. So a lot of our time goes into that right now. Yeah, it's, it's interesting that you, you kind of talk about the, you know, uh, bringing in more of the native components and maybe a little bit less reliance, maybe I'm reading between the lines here, but a little bit less reliance on JavaScript. Uh, a lot of the conversations that I have with developers, I'm, I'm actually a little bit shocked at how many of them are coming from a native development background as yeah. opposed to a JavaScript development background. I think a lot of times um, React Native kind of gets positioned, for better or for worse, as a successor to something like PhoneGap or Apache Cordova, where it's really serving the, the needs of web developers. And yeah. yes, absolutely, like as a I am myself a web developer, Me too. kind of <laughs> classically, right? Yeah. And so that was definitely my path towards it. But I talked to at least as many people who are coming from, you know, I'm an Objective-C developer, a Swift developer, a Java developer. And I think actually Airbnb is probably a really great example of that, right? right. A company that, or a team that came to it from the position of native development, but they saw a need for kind of sharing code to eliminate some redundancy in their existing architecture to hopefully move a little bit faster with some of that. And, um, and so bringing in a little bit more of the native flavor to it and allowing developers to, to kind of work a little bit closer to, uh, I hesitate to call it closer to the metal, but it's kind <laughs> yeah. of what it is, right? Yeah. Uh, it seems, seems like a smart move. Yeah, cool. Well, you know, I really want to make it so that you can build a great mobile app and never even know how it works underneath. But frankly, I just don't think we're there yet. And when you look at what, what some of these new things do, like React Navigation, they tie deeply into the, into the native code because right now to deliver the best experiences, you kind of need to do that. Yeah. It's an interesting dichotomy there, though, because you got um, like the folks at Expo, yeah. right, who are doing some pretty freaking awesome things as well yeah, to make great. it so that you don't even have to deal with the native code. Never even build it. Yeah, just like just play with your JavaScript and, and you can actually you can get a pretty long ways going that way. I think I expect to see a lot of good things come, coming from them in the next year as they start to mature that. I kind of, I wonder myself as, as someone who's responsible for the tooling and kind of serving that developer community, like if we're going to end up in a place where you've really got two very different developer 
profiles, if audiences, you will, audiences, yeah, of yeah. uh, folks who are coming at it from the, I'm a native developer, and I, and I want to use it to eliminate a little bit of redundancy in my code, to maybe streamline things a little bit, and then another batch who's coming from that web developer audience. Right? Absolutely. I mean, I think that's, you know, when at Facebook, what we see is that we can have people who know native development who can kind of bridge these gaps between JavaScript and, and the native code. And then we can have people who come from the web development background who can quickly build out features. So I actually, my hope is to make it so that we can gain more leverage over the people with this specialized knowledge about how iOS and Android especially work. And then the people who are building like the end user features have to worry about that less. That, that's the yeah, dream. Totally, totally. Yeah, and regarding the uh, iOS and Android native developers coming to React Native and how we're kind of maybe a little surprised by that, I think that's because we've seen these other hybrid things in the past. I wouldn't even say other, but we've seen hybrid like Cordova, Ionic, and uh, traditionally I, uh, iOS and Android developers, they, they're not going to move to that because it kind of is not a better, better experience. But I think React Native, uh, you know, delivers a almost equal experience, and that's kind of why we're seeing oh, yeah. that. And then they also have a little bit of extra, um, you know, I wouldn't say uh, leverage, but I would say knowledge. So all they need to do is pick up a little JavaScript, and they already can go and start building these very um, important bridge, bridges between native and, and, and JavaScript code. Yeah, yeah, totally. I think that I, there is um, there's an awful lot to be said for kind of making that move between language. I think there's a bigger jump or there's a bigger chasm from web to, well, at least Objective-C or Java, maybe less so Swift. Um, and that, that migration, I think, requires a lot more change about the way that web developers think than coming the reverse angle, right? Coming from the native development side, moving over to, to JavaScript. The biggest hurdle that they've really, usually got to kind of jump is the strongly typed language thing. And that's, I think that's easier for to well, go from strongly to we're eroding that with projects like TypeScript and Flow, too. Yeah, so I, you know, I know plenty of native developers who say, I would never touch JavaScript, but now there's a type system, so I trust it. You mentioned Expo, but I think what's, what's very interesting to me, at least if I was kind of a part of a team like that, that's creating these open source projects that are being adopted, and then you're seeing actual companies built on top of these projects, um, like you know Expo for one, and then um, there's React uh, training companies like mine and uh, React training with uh, Michael uh, Michael Jackson, Jackson, Ron Florence, yeah, yeah. and then also you have like, Airbnb and these other companies building you know their entire like billion dollar companies. Like, how do your developers feel about stuff like that? That must that, mu that must be a, a good feeling. It's great. Yeah. I, you know, it, it's super fun, and and I think um, you know it it can be. It can cause uh, some tension at times because you know we we really do try to stay focused on delivering value to Facebook, but uh, but it's really fun to you know kind of have this international community that surrounds these projects and to feel like uh, a part of it and to feel like we're contributing to that. So um, I guess I kind of want to talk about some other stuff going on. Um, what what are what are some other projects that are uh, exciting right now? I know I've, I hear a lot about Reason. And you mentioned uh, Litho or Litho earlier. Yeah. Um, you know, are those kind of uh, things that you feel are kind of going to be a big deal in the future? Or are you guys using them internally? Um, and how are those being used? Sure. Well, Litho, I can say for sure, is it's already a big deal internally. It powers a lot of uh, the Facebook Android app. And it's continuing to kind of rip through the company as we've just provided a better way for building Android. And uh, you know, there are plenty of places where it's pretty difficult or not even a good idea to go replace an existing native implementation of you know that's built in Android with something built in React Native. Lots of reasons why you wouldn't want to do that. But it's almost always beneficial to go through and replace that view layer with one based 
based on Litho. And if you haven't seen Litho before, Litho is roughly an implementation of React in native Android. Uh, it relies heavily on code generation to kind of work around some of the deficiencies in the Java language. And it employs optimizations that we can't even do in React because Android is multi-threaded, so it can do things like background layout. Um, so Litho is hot, hot, hot. You know, we're starting to see some real interest in it in the Android community. Interestingly, this is what we found when we take React and we bring it to a new audience. We get two reactions. One is, ew, JavaScript. You know, like people who don't already like JavaScript tend to just be freaked out by it, and they have bad memories of the DOM. Um, and then the other thing we get here is like this, like props and the you know declarative stuff and functional. It it just sounds crazy, you know. And and like if you think back to when you first encountered React, it probably sounded really weird. And you saw JSX, and you're like, my templates in my in my component, that doesn't seem right at all. So there, it turns out that there's like this very big conceptual gap to cross when we, even when we bring it to you in your environment, in your language. So uh, the Android community has been like, you know, they're, they're kind of catching on to this now. I think we'll continue to see that, that take off. So um, when, a, when a project like uh, Litho or Litho or Reason or one of these things comes about, like how does that happen within Facebook? Yeah. Is it like something that, um, you have a like maybe a module within your app, and it keeps growing, and then you're you're like, okay, this can be its own project, or is it something that you set out to build and and build? Yeah, there are really two ways that this happens, and, and my group has two kinds of projects. One is a case where we identify a gap in the tool chain, usually, but sometimes in our in our library portfolio, where we say, look, we have React and React Native. We have kind of React for iOS, which we call Component Kit. That's an open source library. Where's React for Android? And then you know we'll just set about building it. Now, it's not dial a project. You know, it's if you're an engineering manager, you know you can't just say like, hey, I want this project, and then get ten people to work on it. it the way it really happens is someone has to believe in that vision and kind of make it their own. And and it's not really React for Android. It's its own thing. Yeah. Um, but we kind of foster and incubate these projects because we want them. Another thing, though, that happens is that some group at Facebook will build a tool to solve a problem, and it'll quickly become clear that that problem goes way beyond the, the application that the team originally thought for it. Then what we try to do is, you know, we try to, like, kind of cheerlead and support that project in place for as long as we can. Eventually, when it becomes mature, it may become part of the portfolio of, of an infrastructure team. So we see both kinds, uh, and both are really important. And the commitment to open source the project, I mean, it has to be a pretty... Um, it's a pretty big deal because uh, not only are you releasing all this code to the community and you have to kind of think about long-term maintenance, but, you know, there's a cost there for Facebook and for your team, I'm sure. So, yeah. like, what do you kind of, uh, like, how do you, I guess, make that decision? Sure. Well, two things about that. The first one is, you know, I'm a, I'm a major supporter and advocate for open source. I have been for a really long time. Um, and I saw early on when I, I mentioned earlier that I worked at Laszlo Systems, and we found ourselves in this in this position where we'd invented a cool developer technology, but this wave of open source swept over the it was then the app server landscape, and we saw that we weren't going to be competitive unless we were open source. So there's this reality I think that like the developer technologies that win in the end are open source because developers want to take their knowledge and their tools with them no matter where they go. And if they can't, they end up being pretty leery of any technology you present to them. Yeah. So also in yeah. that, there's like, there's a lot of businesses these days that just straight up won't take a bet on the technology unless it's open source because they're frankly afraid of vendor lock-in, yeah. right? And so 
going open source is, well, we talked about it being a strategy um, for collaboration earlier, but it's also a strategy for, from a consumer perspective, or at least a consumer of the technology, of the framework, whatever it is, of ensuring that you're not going to be stuck with a particular maker or a particular provider. We certainly see this at Microsoft on the cloud side all of yeah. the time, right? People wanting portability of their databases, um, people wanting portability of kind of their, their services, and so that's one of the reasons, at least, that Microsoft, particularly in the last three, two, three years, has kind of gone the route of, I mean, what I think is largely seen as an about face, at least yeah. for Microsoft, yeah, exactly. in terms of open sourcing everything under the sun, right? I mean, everything except for, I think, like the Windows kernel is probably <laughs> open sourced by this point. Microsoft is, like, really cool right now. That's awesome. <laughs> We're yeah. doing our best. Well, We're if you think about it, you know, 10 years ago, actually, enterprises were leery of open source because they couldn't buy it. You know, and they, what they really wanted was some way to buy support and someone to call when it broke. And I think that's what it is, right? Yeah. They, they, they want the framework or they want the technology to be open source. It's the support that's the important yeah. thing, right? And that's where, at least in the, in the React Native space, I think that's, that's one place where Microsoft probably long-term has some kind of role to play. Yeah. The technology itself Absolutely. Let's make sure that we can all contribute to it. Make sure that we all understand it and that we're working to improve it from a security perspective, from a stability and reliability perspective. But then let's make space there for kind of companies to come in, whether it's Microsoft or Expo or anyone else, to come and say, you know what, we, developers, we've got your back. If you've got you know bugs that you as a development team don't want to work with, if you've got problems with implementation, you can build a whole ecosystem there around kind of the support layer, which is really like, that's, that's what you're buying when you're buying a product. Really what you're buying is kind of the, the peace of mind that, that if it's broken, you've got some way or someone to turn to to get it fixed. Absolutely. So um, I'm, I'm curious, this is relating to Microsoft in general, sure, yeah. but do you kind of see like React Native and Xamarin as a way for Windows to kind of get back into the mobile space? Because it seems like, you know, the easier, of course, it is to build apps, the more people are going to build apps. And then with React Native or even Xamarin or, or a similar tool that you can kind of build an app for iOS and Android, which are the most adopted platforms, and then share, you know, a lot of that code and just go ahead and deploy it to, to Windows. It just makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I, so um, I'll actually, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take your question, I'm going to adjust it just slightly, because I think you're absolutely on target, right? It is a way for Microsoft to get into the mobile space where, I mean, it's no secret, like, you know, the Windows phone wasn't an enormous success. That's okay, right? Um, but Microsoft still wants to, is, is still very relevant in the computing space. And these days, computing doesn't only happen on laptops or desktops. A lot of our computing happens on these smaller devices. Uh, and so Xamarin, React Native, we've, we have made significant contributions to Cordova as well. Like We care very much about helping developers be successful wherever they want to deploy their apps. And frankly, Microsoft also really wants those developers to use cloud services. And the, you know, the more endpoints that there are out there, again, whether they're desktops or laptops or servers or, or mobile devices, the more consumption of cloud services there will be. And we, you know, we hope that in the end we can drive some of it to Azure. We've got actually a lot of work that we're doing, like CodePush, to make sure that Azure provides meaningful value to developers in a way that, um, uh, that doesn't feel, I don't know, let's say, doesn't feel sanitized and, and too kind of enterprisey, right? Um, but at the same time, provides all of the same kind of reliability and security and all of the regulatory compliance that 
larger enterprises expect. And so the more that we can help developers kind of be successful, whatever the framework is, I think it's good for all of us. And let's face it, like uh, Microsoft's also just, frankly, I mean, we are a bunch of developers. Uh, we, we love to build cool things. And, um, and React Native is allowing a lot of developers to, to build things that they couldn't do before, at least not using, not in the same way, right? Um, there's a lot of magic in the way that the React Native kind of architecture was put together. I think it brings a really attractive development loop. And so Microsoft wants to kind of help support that and hopefully help fill out the, the tooling side of the ecosystem that isn't necessarily kind of Facebook's kind of primary reason for, for kind of playing in that space. Absolutely, yeah. We have a couple of questions that we've fielded from uh, Facebook and from Twitter, and I'm going to kind of go through a couple of those, I think. Uh, one of them is, uh, what would a React Native 1.0 release look like? Sure. Uh, well, if I could tell you that, then we'd have it on the roadmap. I think you know React Native is still changing pretty quickly, as as our users always tell us. Uh, it can be kind of hard to stay to stay up with with React Native. Um, one thing that we've been working on for a really long time is sharing more of the C infrastructure uh, that allows JavaScript to talk to the native environments on both iOS and Android. So we call that the shared bridge, and we've been steadily working towards that for over a year now. Um, that's the kind of thing that we want to really have solidly in place before I'll feel comfortable that we are, you know, kind of like we have a stable baseline. And then I think, you know, the other thing that really remains to be seen is how React Fiber will play out with respect to mobile. So uh, we've made this large investment in rewriting React and introducing concurrency into the core of React. Uh, and we already know that this rewrite is good. It's, it's small, it's performant, it's good code. Uh, but what we haven't really shown yet is what we can do with the concurrency features. And I think really until we get a better grip on that, you know, we, we can call the versions whatever we want to, but React will keep changing pretty quickly while we're still figuring this out. So I guess this is a question that kind of goes beyond React Native or React or anything like that in general. But we have two guys here that are kind of you know, been programming and they're doing advanced stuff. I'm kind of curious what your opinions are on like where front end is kind of headed over the next few years. Is React Native, like, you know, is it going to be something that's going to be here for maybe a couple of years? And I mean, there's always going to be, we live in a very fast moving or we work in a fast moving um, type of, um, you know, technologies that we work with. Like, where, what do you see actually going on in the next couple of years, I guess? Very general question, I know. Yeah, yeah. So I've been in the industry long enough now that I've seen most frameworks, you know, there's only a few that have lasted more than five years, right? jQuery's been around longer than that. Cordova's only just barely been around longer than that. There's not many others that I can really think of offhand that have lasted more than five years. Um, I suspect that client-side development will continue down a route that tries to abstract away the endpoints as much as possible. We've had this kind of walled garden between the Google or the Android and the iOS um, communities for so long, and the, and the Windows side as well. And that has forced a lot of developers to, to write their code, the same code, just slightly differently, two, three, four times. And uh, React Native has allowed us to kind of bridge it across iOS and Android. The more that we can start to bridge it across desktop environments as well, and whatever new type of kind of endpoint there happens to be, like, I don't know, HoloLens. Let's, let's make yeah, a bridge yeah. for HoloLens, right? <laughs> React VR. <laughs> yeah, that's right. React VR, React AR. So I suspect that anything that comes out of the future will really be about trying to make sure that we abstract 
away as much of kind of the, um, the device specificity and allows people to kind of consolidate their code. Beyond that, uh, a, lot of, a lot of what I hear developers talking about is still the um, kind of chatbots and AI and all that. And that has been, at least at Build Conference here the last couple of oh, days, yeah. there's been so much buzz around that and so much excitement around that. Uh, I think there's a lot to be done there. And the, the way that that changes, the way that we work with client-side interfaces, uh, there's, there's a lot of exploration that needs to be done there to better understand how we just as, as consumers interact with that and how that comes to play with the interfaces that we're already creating with our applications. I expect that's going to bring a whole new range of controls to, to the equation. Yeah, I would point to two, two changes that I'm really looking for over the next two to three years, just to be like kind of really specific about front end. So the first one is, obviously, you know, I'm a big believer in JavaScript, and Facebook has a big dependency on JavaScript. And I'm really looking to see the JavaScript ecosystem move forward take a big step over the next couple of years. The runtimes need to develop some kind of fast start feature. So for the longest time, JavaScript's really been oriented towards this idea of downloading your program and compiling it on the fly. That's really not relevant and not advisable in mobile. But none of the, none of the JS runtimes really do that right now. So that, I think, will get better. And we're starting to see movement on this front, V8 snapshots. You know, Chakra's got some amazing features. Uh, we need to get these in the in the JS mobile environment. And I think that'll really help technologies like React Native. Does prepack fall into that? Is that kind of it what does. prepack does? It's a compilation strategy rather than a runtime enhancement. So it's more of a mitigation than a solution, but it's part of the it's it's part of it. And moving work from runtime to build time will always be a really important strategy for mobile. And just just for everything. You know, it computing before you run is way better than computing when you run. Um, and then there's this other thing that I think is going to happen. It might happen, I don't know how long it's going to take, but I think that our notion of how we fetch data and get data into the app is going to change radically over the next several years. And we're still using this browser-based idea of request and response. You know, the, ask, the app asks for something and then waits until the server delivers it. And that's bad for a bunch of reasons. Uh, the simplest one is just that the things change quickly on the client. And, and the latency that you have to a server endpoint can be seconds, uh, which is way too long. What you really want is fine-grained data delivery, where maybe we even use technologies like AI and machine learning to predict what data you want and to chunk it up in very small pieces and have the client make decisions about when it's ready and how to show it. So rather than fetch a list in like one big hunk, we really want to get items one at a time. And we also want to find out about when they change in very fine-grained ways. So that's really like, that's going to blow up a lot of our front-end stack. I'm pretty excited about it, but it's going to be a lot of work too. So does that kind of fall into the area, the realm of like GraphQL, or is that kind of something completely different? It does, yeah. I mean, you know, GraphQL is, is both a step in the right direction since that it's a declarative data fetching framework. And also, you know, it kind of cements some patterns that we'll probably have to re-examine. So, you know, it, 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 it relies heavily on the idea that you might want to fetch a list from the server. Um, whereas I think in the future, you'll kind of say like, hey, I'm interested in data that conforms to this filter and takes this shape. Let me know when you have it. And, and the server makes decisions about how to return that and, and with what kind of granularity. 
So we're going to kind of wrap it up here in just a minute, but I'm kind of curious. So um, if someone wants to kind of get started with Mobile Center, and can you kind of talk about like what they would need to do to do that? And, and can you kind of break apart the different pieces oh, that sure. are there? We, talk, we talked about Code Push, but I believe you do analytics and crash yeah, yeah, totally. analytics and stuff like uh, that. So the, the very easy answer is if you've got your source code in GitHub, just walk on over to uh, mobile.azure.com and log in with your uh, GitHub credentials. Uh, once you're there, uh, it lists all of your different repositories. Uh, you can choose the one that's your React Native project and start a build right away, right? So long as it's a React Native project that, that works, right? It's all put together. That's uh, awesome. Yeah, you can have a CI, CD pipeline up and running in five minutes. Uh, it's super quick. From there, if you want to integrate with any of our SDKs, I mean, you know, link them in, right? Uh, today, we just have Code Push just kind of is beginning to inch into Mobile Center. Uh, we won't have complete integration with all the different services. So the services are um, build, cloud build services, uh, crash reporting, analytics. Uh, let's see here, you've also got um, uh, sort of data storage and authentication services, uh, push notifications, and uh, I feel like I'm forgetting something here. What's the one I'm <laughs> That's forgetting? That's a lot already. Oh, yeah. Oh, automated UI testing. That's the other cool. one that I'm forgetting, right? Uh, so today, uh, Code Push is just coming in. You can make use of it just like you normally would already, as you have done for the last year and a half, Code Push. But uh, we'll have a, a kind of a CLI switch over that'll probably happen in the next couple of months. Uh, but that should be a super easy and actually transparent process for all of our users. No code changes necessary for anyone. We don't expect any kind of interruption. Uh, you'll just have a transition period where kind of you can use both the Code Push CLI and the Mobile Center CLI in parallel as we kind of start to phase out the Code Push one. Beyond that, really, we just hope that customers will come and tinker around with it. It is. It's only in preview. We are not advertising using Mobile Center for production apps today. I don't know, well, it'll be a race to see if React Native. Or or uh, Mobile Center get to 1.0 first. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. Yeah, and completely free. Completely free. Cool. Um, so, Adam, is there anything you want to kind of talk about before we wrap it up today? Well, no, it's great to be here. It's, it's really exciting to see Microsoft investing in, in React, React Native. I have to be honest and say several years ago, I would not predict that uh, Microsoft would be such a great partner in open source. But... Um, it's really true that you know Facebook wants to open source these core technologies, but we have proprietary solutions for all of these uh, technologies that we just mentioned as part of Mobile Center, like analytics, crash reporting. It would be very hard for us to open source those things. So it's great to see other people kind of supplying these, these tools that we know you need if you're going to run React Native and, and building that out for the ecosystem. It's great. All right. Well, all right. Uh yeah, thank you so much. Thank yeah. you. It's uh, like, Adam, it's been freaking awesome having you here, man. Yeah. Absolutely awesome. Great to be here. It's great to meet both of you in person. Oh, yeah. You too. Absolutely. All right. Well, uh, that wraps up this episode of React Native Radio. Thank you for listening, and we'll be back next week. <laughs>